Ed uh, is a Christian grown-up. Uh, money is tight. He knows that God has promised to provide what will be good for him and his family. But he also knows that there are bills due at the end of the month that are bigger than his pay is going to be at the end of the month. So he comes up with a way of inflating his expense claims for work. He knows technically it's fraud and stealing, and it's not the way that God wants him to do things. But he reasons, it's for my family, and I'll pay it back when I can. And he gets away with it. And so next time round, when the bills are bigger than the money in the bank, he does it again. Uh, Flo is a Christian child. She always gets scared when there are tests at school. Uh, She knows God says that he loves her and has a plan for her, whatever happens in her tests. But today, she hasn't prepared, and it's a really hard one. So she cheats. She copies the clever girl next to her. I wonder, how do you feel? about Ed and Flo. Can you relate to them? It might not be the same sorts of issues for you. But this is basically Abraham's story in chapter 20 of Genesis, isn't it? For Abraham, the pressure isn't money or succeeding. It's um, fear, fear of a threatening, powerful uh, person. King Abimelech, he thinks, wants his wife. Sarah for himself. And Abraham is scared that he'll want her so much that he's going to kill him. And um, he knows, in theory, that God has promised to protect him. And that he and Sarah, that God has promised that he and Sarah are even going to have a child within a year. And that's what he said back in chapter 18. But he also knows that Abimelech is much more powerful than he is. And... um, And so, to save him and his family, he comes up with this scheme to lie about Sarah and let uh, Sarah go and be like Abimelech's wife. But what happens next uh, is very unusual. probably doesn't happen this way to Ed or Flo or to us. God appears to Abimelech in a dream. And he warns him that by taking Sarah... He's going to get on the wrong side of someone who is far more rich and powerful than he is. Uh, Verse 3, if you close it, page 20, Genesis 20, verse 3. God came to Abimelech in a dream and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you've taken. She is a married woman. But then there's another unexpected twist. Abimelech takes on the role that Abraham had occupied a couple of chapters earlier. He intercedes with God on behalf of innocent people. He says, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Verse 4. And God, um, God's response is wonderfully fair and merciful. It demonstrates um, both his justice and his grace. In light of Abimelech's ignorance, God has stopped him from sleeping with Sarah up until this point. But now God says to him, it's decision time. Will Abimelech obey God and return Sarah to Abraham or defy God and die along with the whole nation? Well, wisely, Abimelech returns Sarah with some very grumpy words to Abraham. 
And what Abraham responds with, and do you notice, is um, brazen and outrageous. Do you notice? Uh, he, um, he's, he replies, uh, verse 11, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. You know, it, I was really, really scared of what was going to happen. I needed to do it to save my family. And um, what's more, uh, this is my go-to method. Everywhere I go, I've told Sarah to say, he's my brother. This is, this is what I always do. And, um, you know, he's done it before. Chapter 12, perhaps you remember, uh, a few weeks ago, he did exactly the same with Pharaoh in Egypt. Actually, a few chapters later, he's clearly passed on this method to his son, who does it uh, also with Abimelech, maybe Abimelech's son, a few chapters later. So, um, having brazened it out with Abimelech, what does Abimelech do? Well, he shockingly gives him a good chunk of his wealth, and then God heals Abimelech and his people in answer to Abraham's prayer. What a strange story. What are we to learn from it? I think there are two big things. Two big things for us today that I think we really need to hear. Firstly, that God is serious about sin. That's the first big lesson of this chapter. Now, I know we saw that very clearly last week. Uh, children out, out in the other room and us in here with Sodom and uh, Lot. Uh, what was true of Sodom and Lot uh, in last week's chapter is uh, true here with Abraham and Abimelech. God is serious about sin. He always is. And you can see that because Abraham here telling this half-truth, this, um, this deception nearly leads to the destruction of a nation. Uh, sin is really serious. Uh, back in chapter 12, when this happened before, um, uh, with Pharaoh in Egypt, it really didn't go well that time either. And we might be thinking, well, okay, but what could Abraham do? That's, this is what kings did. They would kill these other guys who stand in their way. And if he likes Sarah and wants regardless of the fact that she's 90 by this point, really wants her as his wife, then um, he could have steamrolled Abraham. Uh, what could Ed do when he's going to run out of money? What could Flo do when she's going fail to fail her test? What can you do? Why is this such a big deal that um, uh, Abraham compromises well, for one thing, God is truthful. God is the God of truth, and Abraham acts deceitfully. For another thing, God is a faithful God, and Abraham decides it's okay to be unfaithful to his marriage vows, to his wife. There's something else going on in the background as well. Perhaps you remember that last, last time this happened, back in chapter 12, just before that, God made Abraham an enormous promise or a set of promises that have kind of controlled the direction of the whole rest of the story. And the promises that God made were amazing to Abraham. One of them was, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations are going to be blessed through you. God had promised to protect him, hadn't he? He'd, he'd said to him, I've got your back, Abraham. You don't need to worry. And he promised that 
he was going to have a son with Sarah. So he's not to, to palm off his wife on someone else. And it's going to happen. He said in chapter 18, it's going to happen within the year. So he, Abraham shouldn't have been afraid of what Abimelech was going to do. Because God had promised to have his back. This is a massive failure of faith on Abraham's behalf. It's the same DIY approach to the good life that we'd had in chapter 15 with um, Hagar and Ishmael. When Abraham thought he needed to find his own way to have a child because Sarah wasn't going to produce one. He didn't believe God's promise then and he's not believing God's promise now. He's faithless again. And note that this is after the the covenant has been established. The, The covenant that God gave to Abraham. Remember the cutting up the animals and going through it. I'm going to do this for you. But also the covenant of circumcision. Abraham said, yeah, I am in. I am going to go your way. Your promises are going to control my life. And yet here, again, he fails to obey. But before we lay into Abraham too much for his disobedience or for his lack of faith, isn't this all too familiar to us? Isn't this what Ed was doing? Isn't this what Flo was doing? Isn't this what... I do and you do. Every week, every day. We try and sort it out ourselves, regardless of the promises of God, regardless of what God has told us to do. We're like Abraham. We know, don't we, in theory, if we're following Jesus, and and you might not be, don't worry, I I know that um, you might not believe this to be true, but those of us who are Christians, we know that God says... He's going to look after us. And we know that that is going to happen, in theory. We know that the Bible is true, its promises are going to happen. But in practice, so often, we don't live like that's true. And perhaps if you're here and you're not a Christian, you've seen that. You've seen it in Christians who act like hypocrites. They say one thing, but do another. Well, that's because we're all like Abraham. We're just like the Bible says we're going to be. Perhaps um, if you go to school, you uh, swear or gossip uh, to fit in because you're scared that people are going to think you're weird and won't want to be your, your friends. Um, and, and you might know that God says to speak purely and kindly and carefully. You do it anyway. Or perhaps a, a friend uh, says something about God uh, and, and you know you could say something to help them understand what God is really like but you're scared of what they might think and so you don't or perhaps at work uh, your boss asks you to do something which isn't totally honest and well you're afraid of what might happen to your career so you go along with it or you find out that there's someone in the church family who really needs help and you think oh well it's a shame but I'm just too busy at the moment and if I contributed to the church funds so that the church can help them, well, I, I might not have enough. And it's, it's always the same. Now, our faith fails. And Abraham's failure of faith, often much like ours, led him into sin, like ours leads us into sin. For me, all too often, I find that my own faith fails very often when, when, when I'm confronted by lots of things to do, lots of pressure, busyness, responsibilities, 
perhaps particularly the prospect of um, disappointing others, upsetting other people. And instead of responding by humbly praying through those things and, and doing what God enables me to do and leaving the rest to him, I, I either feel too busy or too stressed to, to pray about it, uh, to pray through it, or uh, I'm stressed about it so I avoid thinking about it at all and I avoid the issues. And so uh, very often Alison and the children uh, feel the effects of my stress and, and faithlessness and I'm afraid it will be for you all as well. You will feel the effects of my stress and my faithlessness. And that is sinful of me. And I'm not to, to, to excuse it like Abraham tries to do by saying, well, you know, what else can I do? It's all a bit too much. That's not right, is it? God has promised to look out for us. And, and so it is sin. And God is serious about sin. That's the first big point of the passage. Remember what it led to at verse uh, 3. God says to Abimelech, you are as good as dead because of this sin. No wonder Abimelech's response to Abraham is so outraged, verse 9. Do you notice that? You have done things to me that should never be done. He's outraged that Abraham could possibly do this. So before we move on from this idea, just think about Abimelech for a moment. Because um, in his unknowing sin of taking another man's wife, he didn't know she was his wife, that's what means that God is about to punish him. Perhaps you haven't thought about sinning in a kind of non-deliberate way. But it is real. Sin can be real and not deliberate. Some people firmly believe that what they're doing is right, or at least not wrong, and they are sinning against God in those things. The reason that that, that is true is because God is the one who creates us and everything else. And so he sets the rules. So sin isn't just the things we agree are wrong or the things that we feel are wrong. Although we all do those things too. But it's also the things that God says are wrong, whether we realise it or not. And that includes private and consensual things, things which might seem to us not to hurt anyone. Abimelech and Abraham and Sarah had all agreed about this arrangement. Abimelech uh, to, to take Sarah to, to be his wife. But that doesn't matter. Even in the privacy of Abimelech's bedroom, God gets to set the rules. Some people say that God just isn't interested in what happens behind closed doors or in our bedrooms. But Genesis 20 begs to differ. God's plan for Abraham's marriage is the same as for any marriage, in that it's to be between one man and one woman for life. Otherwise, it means sin. And God is serious about sin. Abraham, uh, uh, sorry, Abimelech is as good as dead because of his sin. And everyone around him, did you notice, was under a curse of death as well. No new life, no new babies able to be conceived. And all of that is designed to point towards the universal reality which we experience today. We are a bit like Abimelech. Uh, we might also feel like we've not intentionally gone against God. Perhaps if you're here and you're not yet following Jesus, that's how you feel. You've not, you know, 
done anything really bad. You're not trying to offend God. Like Abimelech. God says to Abimelech, you're as good as dead. There is good news. We'll come to that. But first, I wonder if we need to spend a moment examining our hearts. Because God really is serious about sin. So serious... And this is what the Lord's Supper points to. So serious about sin that he had to send his own son. God the Son came into the world to suffer and die to deal with sin. He's that serious about sin. He doesn't just brush it under the carpet. The question for us is, are we serious about sin and evil? Do we care about it like God does? Sin in ourselves, sin in other people. Will we happily let other people sin, lead other people to sin, to protect ourselves? Will we dabble in deception for the sake of an easier life? If we will, we haven't got this, that sin is serious. God is serious about sin, and and so we should be. But this warning leads to good news. As I said, this is a good thing. If you're here yet, you don't believe in Jesus, listen to to this response. Because we might have gone against God in ignorance as well. We might have ignored Jesus without knowing much about him. And like with Abimelech, God is fair and patient and gracious with us as well. And he gives all of us a big chance and a big choice. God is warning us. Last week we had this, this week we have it again. God is warning us if we go against God, even if we haven't realised that's what we're doing, we face the full force of God's anger. But look at God's response. Um, Verse uh, 6. God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I've kept you from sinning against me. That's why I didn't let you touch her. Now, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he'll pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. There's a big chance and a big choice for Abimelech and for us. And and our second point is this. Not only, wonderfully, not only is God serious about sin, he's also serious about his promises. Remember the the promise that um, Abraham had forgotten back in chapter 12? Mm -hmm. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And gosh, doesn't God come through on that one? It doesn't depend on how much faith Abraham had, even if it was as small as a mustard seed, or how consistent he was. When, Ab- when, God's, when God promises something to someone, he always follows through. And so when God confronts Abimelech, verse 7, he says, Abraham is a prophet. He's going to pray for you, and you will live. But if you curse him, if you keep his wife, then you and everyone who belongs to you will die. In other words, you bless Abraham, he'll bless you. I'll bless you through him. If you curse Abraham, I'll curse you. God has Abraham's back. Even though he didn't believe it. The peoples of the earth, like Abimelech, can be blessed through him. So Abimelech goes to confront Abraham, he tells him off for his sin, and then he brings these sheep and cattle and slaves and gives them to Abraham, and he gives him a thousand shekels of silver. In other words, God blesses Abraham, despite his sin, despite his faithlessness. 
even though Abraham's messed up in a, in a big way, and he's done it exactly the same as last time. He's kept on doing the thing that he'd done before. Ed, if he keeps going in, um, in this sin of um, stealing from work, this fraud, well, he might get sacked. He might even go to prison. But as long as he comes back to God, God will welcome him with open arms. His forgiveness knows no bounds. And God still holds out his promises to him. And God is serious, not only about sin, but about his promise to forgive us and bless us whatever we've done. Whatever guilt is weighing us down. Back in verse 7, God told Abimelech that the solution to the death he was facing by sinning against God was for God's prophet Abraham to pray for him and he'd be given life instead of death. And God forgives us, not because our sins aren't that serious. We've, We've done stuff which isn't so bad. They do deserve death. Rather, God forgives us because he has promised to forgive us. And his man, Not Abraham, but Jesus Christ intercedes on our behalf. He prays for us. And God is gracious and merciful. And what lies behind that is that my sin, if I trust in Jesus, my sin does lead to death. That's the other thing that the Lord's Supper reminds us of. It has led to death. It leads to the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, who dies to be punished for what I have done. And so God promises that I can share in Jesus' life because he shared in my death. God is serious about sin, but he's also serious about his promise to forgive any who come to him. And the cross fits those things together. Now, before we finish, uh, one more thing, a big thing, one other thing that the promise of God, the promise of God in this passage uh, highlights, and that is God's promise to bless the people of the whole world, of all the nations of the world, through Abraham and Abraham's descendants. Uh, That's beginning to happen uh, here with Abimelech and Abimelech's nation in Gerar. Um, uh, But it happens in a bigger way when the Lord Jesus comes and takes the sin of the world on his shoulders so that anyone might share his love. And because of that, God promises that he will use us to bless the world. He's given us a gospel, this message of forgiveness, that can bring life to anyone, to every, everyone in this world. And even if we are like Abraham, if we are weak and broken and sinful and faithless at times, God can still use us to save people, to bring people from death to life. I don't know how you feel about the idea of evangelism. I know for lots of us here it's a a scary prospect. We don't know uh, who we could talk to, who we could invite along to church, what we would say, how we would do it. And perhaps you find it exciting. Perhaps you find it scary. Perhaps it's just not something you really think about in the busyness of life. But this is a promise of God. He will use his people 
to bless the whole world as we prayerfully share the gospel of life with dying people. So we don't need to be anything other than what we are to save people. Have you thought about that before? We don't need to be perfect. We don't even need to be good to save people, to share our faith, to share life in Christ. Our faith depends on the fact that we are not good. If God can use people like Abraham to save people like Abimelech, he can use people like you to save your friends, your family, your neighbours. Because it depends on God's promises rather than on our goodness. God is serious about sin and God is serious about his promises. So we need to take our sin seriously, not sweep it under the carpet, not pretend it's not there so that we can hold out God's promises. The story is told about a famous evangelist, Brownlow North, um, who um, had lived a wild life. Um, and once before he was getting up to preach, he received a letter uh, from someone. And the letter told him that his writer was going to stand up during uh, his sermon, if he, if he does go on to preach, and uh, tell everyone about this dreadful thing that he had done, some disgraceful thing that he had done. Um, if he preached, so he should uh, back off and, and not preach. Now, um, Brownlow North took the letter into the pulpit and he told everyone. He read the letter out. He told everyone the disgraceful thing that he was referring to. And he told them about how Christ had forgiven him and changed his life. And if he had forgiven him for that disgraceful thing, then was there anyone else in the room who God could not forgive. He turned the shame of his sin to the glory of the gospel. And the same can be true for any of us. However weak or sinful or shameful our stories are, that only magnifies the grace of God that he has given to us and therefore that we can offer to share with others. I think deep down, lots of people actually are turned away from the Christian faith because of their own guilt and fear. They know in their hearts that they don't measure up to God. And they fear that they can't come to Jesus because they're not good enough. And so if we as Christians pretend to be better than we are, if we hide our sin, put on a mask, then those people will be confirmed in their fears. I could never be like them. They're good people, and I'm not. But if we're transparent, if we're real with people about what we're really like, about the ways in which we have messed up, and we do mess up, and we fail, then I think we'll find many around us start coming along to church, start believing in the gracious saviour that we hold out. And if we start living that way, if we, start, if we stop hiding our sin, that is an incredibly liberating thing. Do you see how that frees us? If you, um, if you, if you think about it, if we acknowledge that our sin, my sin, is really serious, and don't pretend that either I didn't do it, 
or that it isn't that big a deal. But that God loves me and knows it deeply and, and, and fully, well, that releases me from all sorts of mess, all sorts of hiding, all sorts of pretense, all sorts of guilt. And so we can be honest and real. We can seek help from others as we try and work on our sin. And we can hold out the promise of forgiveness to others earnestly, really. You can be forgiven for anything because look at what God has forgiven me for. So what do you think would happen if, we were, if you were to start to do this? If we as a church family were to start to do this more and more? I think... We would, if instead of, you know, the, the eds among us and the flows among us, hiding what we are doing, what we have done, if instead of that we own the sin that we have committed and proclaim God's grace to our families and friends and colleagues, I think what we'll see is that God can and will use us to save other people and bring them from death to life as they find forgiveness in Christ. Because God is serious about sin, so serious that he sent his son, that his body and his blood might be given for us. God is serious about sin, and he's serious about his promise that anyone can find forgiveness in him. Let me lead us in. Our Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't pretend with us that you are always truthful, that you show us that Sin is terrible. It is an evil thing and it leads to death. Please help us to be real about sin and about our own sin. Not to hide it or to hide from it, but to be willing to confess our sin, knowing that you are faithful and just and will forgive us our sin. Please, would you help us proclaim the real gospel, not to pretend to be good to those around us. And would many come to saving faith in Christ through our message. In Jesus' name, amen.